0: Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving, Stafford Baptist Church and visitors. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Kelton. I have the privilege uh, of serving as one of the elders here of Stafford Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We continue our study of Matthew's account of the life and ministry of Jesus Today dealing with questions of the Sabbath. We'll be in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Lord of the Sabbath. As always, you'll be helped to keep your Bibles open on your lap this morning to follow along as we study the passage verse by verse. But before we read, we're going to pause once more and ask for the Lord's help in our hearing and the proclaiming of God's Word. Please pray with me once more. Our Father in heaven, you have given us these eyewitness accounts of the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we too might see and believe that he is the Son of Man, to whom is given glory and a kingdom, that all people should serve him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice. So help us, Father, by the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to see Jesus for who he is. And to receive rest in Him. It's in His name we pray this. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but, but I am a fan of a good board game. Lately, Rebecca and I have been teaching our daughter the game Sorry because it's got pretty simple rules. But, but honestly, there have been games that we've tried to, to play that we've literally put back in the box because it was just too complex. Here's, here's my principle. If it takes me twice as long to read the rules for the game than it would be to play the game, it's, it's not for me. I, I don't want to spend the entire game cross-referencing different sections of, of the codex, trying to interpret how the various rules apply in each nuanced scenario. No, I, I play games to rest from work, as relief from thinking, So too many rules make the game a burden, not relief. Well, sadly, some people approach their religion like that complex game, like its work. Even that word, word, religion, to us has has inescapable connotation. Rules, do's and, and don'ts, burdens for us, checklists, You know, in our passage last week, Jesus invited all people to receive rest for their souls in Him. He says that He gives a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. Well, today, though we've moved into a new chapter of of the Gospel, we continue in that same theme. In our passage today, Jesus takes up a prime example of the burdensome regulations imposed by His opposition, the, the Pharisees. Like a board game with too many rules, the Pharisees had robbed the Sabbath of the rest that God had intended. They had just made it into another burden. So in this passage this morning, we see Jesus teach not only what the Old Testament had meant all along, but also shows us that rest is now found in Him, not in a day. He is our Sabbath rest from God. Let's read from God's Word, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you has a, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, "'Stretch out your hand.' And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. "'Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen,' Well, our main idea this morning, a one-sentence summary of this passage, is this: The gentle Son of Man offers Sabbath rest from the burden of legalistic demand. The gentle Son of Man offers Sabbath rest from the burden of legalistic demand. Our gentle and lowly Savior here teaches the Old Testament with authority, showing that the Sabbath was not given as a burden, but, but for our rest. But more than that, Jesus teaches here that in his coming kingdom, as the Lord of the Sabbath, he himself is our rest. So he deals gently with us and brings justice to all who hope in him. The gentle Son of Man offers a Sabbath rest from the burden of legalistic demand. We're going to see this this morning in two points, two points that highlight who Jesus is and, and what he does. So first, the Son of Man gives freedom to do good. That in verses 1 through 14. And second, the beloved servant deals gently with the weak. That in 15 through 21. The Son of Man gives freedom to do good. And the beloved servant deals gently with the weak. So let's start back in verse 1, brothers and sisters. In our first point, the Son of Man gives freedom to do good. Here in chapter 12, we're in a different scene from the chapter before, but I trust as we go, we'll see that Matthew put these two stories together because it it follows the same theme. Our gentle and lowly Savior gives us an easy yoke, a light burden. Rest is found in Him. So the chapter starts with Matthew setting the scene for this confrontation. Jesus and his disciples are now walking through a field on the Sabbath. Matthew is writing to Jews who would be intimately acquainted with the Sabbath and, and all the rules surrounding it. We, we might not have the, the same familiarity. What, what is the Sabbath? Well, we have to start way back in the beginning, right? You'll remember that when God created the heavens and the earth, he did his work in six days. On that sixth day, he created mankind in his own image, the crown of his creation. Then, on the, the following day, the seventh day, he rested. So, from the beginning, one day in seven was set apart by God, holy, for his own rest. But it isn't until the Exodus, though, that, that God refers to that seventh day as a Sabbath. That word, Sabbath, simply means rest or to seize. So when when God gave Israel His Ten Commandments, the, the summary of His law for His people, the Sabbath was the fourth commandment. They were to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, to keep it set apart. And they were to do no work on that seventh day as a way for them to rest and to trust God. And this is because it is how God worked in the beginning, six days of work and a day of rest. And in fact, we learn that the Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Much like we learn that the rainbow was with with Noah, the, the act of circumcision was with Abraham, the Sabbath was a reminder to the people of their covenant obligations. Exodus 31, starting in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you, throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Well, first in that passage, we see the sign of the Sabbath was to remind them that they are sanctified by God. Week in, week out, this reminder. But additionally, we see that why Jews took this command so seriously. Right? Those who broke the command were to be put to death. So in order to make sure that they honored the Sabbath, they developed dozens of additional rules to make sure that they didn't break the Sabbath. So Jewish law, beyond the Bible, had 39 categories of activities that were regulated on the Sabbath. They determined how much you could carry, how far you could walk, even what you could write and erase on the Sabbath to make sure that you did not work. Well, all that lies in the background here as Jesus and his disciples walk on the Sabbath. Hopefully not too far. Well, the disciples were hungry, it says in verse 1. So they plucked some grain from a field they're walking through, Walking paths often went straight through fields. They would rub the grain in their hands to remove the husk and, and pop a few as a snack. Well, taking food like this was, was not the Pharisees' complaint. No, it's, it's allowed by the Bible very exactly. Deuteronomy twenty three twenty five. if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, like they're doing here, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. What they're doing here is is exactly what God has permitted in His law. So when we get to verse 2, we better understand what exactly the Pharisees were complaining about. And remember, the the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who were rigorous in following these extra-biblical traditions like about the Sabbath. So when in verse 2 they see Jesus' disciples plucking grain, eating it on the Sabbath... They view them as breaking the fourth commandment. What is not lawful is their term. You know, their Sabbath laws outside of the Bible regulated picking, threshing, winnowing, all the things that, that they see the disciples doing. So even the disciples snacking would, would break their highly restrictive laws on, on three counts. Well, in response to the claim that they are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath, Jesus makes his response in verses 3-8 through 8 by, by referencing two Old Testament texts. Have you not read? He asks. The, the first comes from 1 Samuel 21, when, when David is fleeing from King Saul, who is seeking his life. In his flight, David stops by the tabernacle. The, the temple is not built yet and inquires with the priest there for some food. David asks the priest, and the priest gives him the bread of the presence. The, the bread of the presence was, was 12 loaves of bread that were baked every Sabbath and placed on the gold table in the tabernacle. And this bread could, could only be eaten by the priests. You can read about that in Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9. But here in, in 1 Samuel 21... The priests offer this bread to David and his companions. Despite the Old Testament saying it's only for the priests, David takes and eats. And no condemnation for David. We don't know particularly if that story took place on the Sabbath. It might have, but but certainly that's not the point. The point isn't about the Sabbath. It's about the priest putting mercy, provision for David before What is lawful? In verse 5, we have a second reference to the Old Testament. Or have you not read? Here, coming from the general principle that priests worked on the Sabbath. You know, every Sabbath, the Old Testament priests were to offer two additional male lambs. Besides the the bread that we've already talked about. A drink and, and daily burnt offerings. So the priests had additional work to do on the Sabbath. Not less. And Jesus says here that they were guiltless. They don't violate the fourth commandment. Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, Jesus clearly knew his Bible and its meaning. And he's ready at a moment's notice to teach it. But it's, it's really his next few statements that, that really bring this out. Jesus isn't just a better Pharisee. He, he knows his Bible better than them and can catch them in their own game. No, no, no. He is Lord of the Sabbath. First, look at verse 6. Something greater, he tells them, than the temple is here. The the implication after that last story is that the reason the priests were guiltless is because they had a higher priority on the Sabbath. The priests were guiltless because other responsibilities took precedent. The the temple where they served was greater even than the Sabbath. Sabbath. And now Jesus claims something even greater than that temple is here. It's a, a veiled statement. He doesn't say exactly what is greater than the temple. But in the, the context of, of his entire ministry, it's inescapable to not conclude that he means himself. He is greater than the temple. You'll think of John chapter 1. Jesus took on flesh and literally tabernacled among us he is the greater temple the place of god's presence the place of the priestly offering for atonement jesus often predicted the destruction of the temple and that he would rebuild it in 3 days he was talking about his own body he is the temple So if the stone and gold of the temple took precedence over the Sabbath, how much more Jesus, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The law, the the temple, the the Sabbath, point to him. Jesus came to fulfill it. The law and the Sabbath. Well, after making this veiled claim that he is greater than even the temple in verse 6, He says that they don't understand the priority of mercy in verse 7. He quotes for them Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It it probably sounds familiar to you. Jesus already quoted it to the Pharisees in the book of Matthew. Back in 9.13, he he told them there to, to go and learn what it means. Well, apparently they didn't listen. They haven't learned what it means. That God desires mercy and not sacrifice. See, the the Pharisees had the shell without the substance. They were obeying the rituals of Sabbath, but without the heart. They were obeying the Sabbath, but it was no longer a day of rest. They fundamentally misunderstood what God desires. And so it's leading them to condemn the guiltless. It says to lay a burden of damnation on those who were vindicated by God. Rules that condemn the guiltless are from the pit of hell. They are lies of Satan. They destroy the innocent. And Jesus here has authority to proclaim this. Not as a squabble between rabbinic schools, but as the Son of Man, Lord of the Sabbath, he calls himself in verse 8. Son of Man, you might know, is, is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. It's, it's drawn from Daniel 7. In that chapter, it's described a ruler who has an eternal and universal kingdom, this Son of Man from heaven. He uses it of himself 28 times in the book of Matthew. So he's he's claiming, by using that title, authority, as, as a man from heaven. So he has authority to proclaim his disciples as innocent, as the Son of Man. Greater than the temple itself. In calling himself Lord of the Sabbath, he is calling himself Lord of the Law. The one who has the right to handle the the Sabbath as he wills or to replace it. In the same way, the the temple overrides normal Sabbath restrictions. He is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, Stafford Baptist, God's laws are not simply rules for rules' sake. The, the, The Pharisees were right here to take God's law seriously. But they had missed its, its very heart, its very purpose. In fact, they had flipped the Sabbath on its head from a day of rest to a, a day of burden to condemn the innocent. You know, one surprising difference, if you read the Old and New Testaments, is, is how few rules the New Testament has. Jesus' death would inaugurate a, a new covenant and with that a new law. And this new law goes straight to the heart to love God, to love neighbor empowered by his spirit. And what he says, the law written on our hearts. You know, in fact, if you read through the New Testament, you'll find that every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament except the fourth. I think it's interesting. The the former Pharisee, now follower of Jesus, Paul... Go so far to say, as in Colossians 2, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul, the former Pharisee, says Sabbaths are a shadow. Jesus is the substance. To Christians... Under the new covenant, observe the Sabbath not by seizing particularly from physical work one day in seven, on Saturdays, but by resting from spiritual work to justify ourselves. So that the Sabbath was originally instituted to give man rest from his, his labors. Jesus came to give us rest from our labor by achieving our salvation. Not by our works, but by His. It's often said that you know salvation is by works just not ours it's his so Christians no longer rest on the seventh day but celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on the first day hebrews chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 puts it clearly it writes so then there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god for whoever has entered god's rest has also rested from his works As God did from his. And how do we enter God's rest? By believing. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 said. For we who have believed enter that rest. So I, I hope you see brothers and sisters. How this continues the themes of what Jesus spoke of in the end of Matthew 11. How is it that we are to enter rest? It's by coming to Jesus in faith. That he is our rest. Jesus sets us free from the the slavery of the law. The the law that cannot bring us rest. You cannot be free even by your scrupulous attention to the details of the law. You cannot be justified by your observance of the law. Only by faith. And faith now working through love. Again, Paul, the, the former Pharisee. Writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But Jesus doesn't just give us freedom. What do we do with this newfound freedom we have in Christ? Well, look let's look to how Jesus teaches us in the next scene, starting in verse nine. The second scene is still about controversy about the Sabbath with the Pharisees now in their synagogue. Here in their synagogue there is a man with a a withered hand. He's not in fatal danger. And the Pharisees ask Jesus, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal? You know, their regulations only allowed work in the case of mortal danger. If someone's life was at stake. But you'll, of course, notice there at the end of verse 10. The heart of their question is not understanding, but accusation. They have self-righteous hearts. They, they haven't come to Jesus with his invitation to learn from him, but to catch him. Well, Jesus replies with a parable. A parable of a sheep. Imagine, he says, if your sheep falls into a pit... A sheep falling into a pit is not in mortal danger. But of course, even on the Sabbath, you would do good. Pull him out of that pit. Jesus is using a lesser to greater argument. If true for a lamb, how much more for people? Right? Men and women made in God's image are of much greater value than sheep. And that proves the principle. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Sabbath. If in the first scene Jesus was correcting our understanding of what isn't forbidden on the Sabbath, here he broadens our understanding of what it is permitted. How are we to use our freedom? Freedom from the the legalistic demands. Well, he teaches us here: we to use that freedom to do good. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus heals the man in the sight of the Pharisees, his hand restored. Our freedom from the law and our rest in Christ is to be used to serve others. Again, Paul, Galatians 5 and verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The the summary of what we're called to do as Christians is good works. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He purified us as His people to be zealous for good works. So this morning, brothers and sisters, can you be imaginative? God created you for good works. Not just on the Lord's Day. What good works do you have opportunity to do? to do. Even as we gather here this morning on the Lord's day consider how can you use your freedom to do good to others. You know I think of the number of members that we've had serve our church today by preparing for our Thanksgiving fellowship meal and so many other that that serve us Lord's day in and out. Maybe in this season of Thanksgiving make sure you don't leave today without saying thank you to someone who has served you today. Let me give a plug for our childcare. We're always in the need of more child care volunteers. And it's a huge way to bless parents so that they can rest in Jesus on this Lord's Day by participating in our service together. Or you might just think, brothers and sisters, who, who is in need of, of comfort or encouragement that you can speak to, that you can pray for? Who is in need of service that you can spend your time or resources to help? Our church has the unique opportunity right now to serve our sister Gertrude Taylor. Her husband Franklin is in a rehab center in Woodbridge and she needs daily rides in order to see him. So many of you are already doing good works by spending your time to bring Gertrude to see her husband. So thank you. How is it maybe that you can rearrange your schedule to serve our sister in this difficult season? But again, church, use your imagination. We don't have a, a confined list of the required good works in the New Testament. No, no, no. We have freedom, opportunity to good, do good to all in nearly unlimited ways, as far as you can imagine. So brothers and sisters, we labor in rest in service to Christ by loving Our neighbor. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, though, are unfortunately still enslaved. Under the yoke of their own legalistic demands, they condemn the innocent. First, the disciples, and now Jesus himself. In verse 14, they they leave and conspire how to destroy him. How to kill him. This is deeply ironic. Their laws permitted on the Sabbath only help in the case of mortal danger. What do they do? Well, they go out and on the Sabbath plot mortal danger. But Jesus, in his heart, knows. He withdraws. Let's look at verses 15 through 21 in our second point. The beloved servant deals gently with with the weak. The beloved servant deals gently with the weak. In verse 15, Jesus avoids any further conflict with these Pharisees. He continues to heal and do good, but away from the prying eyes of the Pharisees. As he heals, you see in verse 16, Jesus orders them not to make him known. His time has not yet come. Well, in the rest of our passage, 17 through the end, Matthew gives us his interpretation of these events, right? It's his understanding of the significance of what Jesus is doing here for us in this section. And it's not particularly about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is just the issue that that reveals the nature of Jesus' mission. We have in verses 18 through 21 the longest Old Testament quote in Matthew. He quotes Isaiah 42, part of what we call Isaiah's servant songs, what we read earlier in our service. This section of the book of Isaiah are are prophecies of the coming Messiah. So Matthew turns to Isaiah, brings it in for us to show us that Jesus is that prophesied servant. Let's look at it, starting in verse 18. I think 18 is a summary of Jesus' ministry. It starts by calling Jesus the beloved servant who pleases God. You'll probably be familiar with that language, right? This is what God announced at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Isaiah 42 is saying that this servant is the one with whom God is pleased. It also says that the God will put his spirit upon him. Again, at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit publicly descends on Jesus. And Jesus is empowered for His ministry by the third person of the Trinity, the the Holy Spirit. And in that Spirit, in verse 18, He proclaims justice to the Gentiles. Jesus' ministry brings good news of the arrival of a kingdom, a kingdom marked by justice and righteousness. Not of external law keeping, but, but as a matter of the heart, of mercy and good works. He proclaims justice to the Gentiles. But justice also means judgment on those who reject him. Verses 19 and 20, though, I think give us particular insight on this episode of the Pharisees in, in Matthew 12. I think that's why Matthew turns particularly to Isaiah 42. It says there in verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. I think that's what we're seeing here in in Matthew 12. Jesus' conduct under pressure is nothing less than the fulfillment of prophecy. Though the, the Pharisees plot to kill him, and Jesus knows it, he doesn't make a scene, he doesn't fight with them. You know, when, when, when Isaiah says that, that no one will hear his voice in the streets, it doesn't mean that he will be utterly silent, right? He still has to proclaim justice in verse 18. No, but, but that he be gentle and humble and quietly withdraw. This Messiah, this servant won't be brash. Jesus wasn't violent. He didn't go and organize large protests against the Pharisees, the, the oppressors. Right? He didn't broadcast their plot in righteous rage even to his disciples, his inner circle. No, rather he endured mistreatment and false accusations. He quietly showed mercy and goodness and proclaimed himself as Lord. He told those he healed to keep it quiet too. In verse 20, he was gentle with the weak. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a damaged, a, a bruised reed, but they, they break easily. And a smoldering wick is, is easy to be put out. This is saying that Jesus, the, the beloved servant, will, will not be callous to the weak and suffering. He is gentle and merciful. He doesn't add any burdens to them that would break them or quench them. No, He calls them to rest. And rest in himself. Richard Sibbs, an English Puritan, wrote a whole book on this one verse that we are all bruised reeds in need of a gentle healing that we find in Jesus. He wrote this of Jesus As a mother is tenderest toward the most diseased and weakest child, so Christ most mercifully inclines to the weakest. The vine steadies itself upon the elm. And the weakest creatures often have the strongest shelters. The consciousness of the church's weakness makes her willing to lean on her beloved. And to hide herself under his wing. Church, Jesus is our strength in rest. We in our consciousness of our weakness lean on our beloved. And he is gentle with us. Sib would elsewhere write that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And he is a skilled physician, able to support and heal us. And verse 20 goes on to say that Jesus will always be like this until he brings justice to victory. That time is not yet, but it will certainly come. And he will do this until that time. Jesus will have a ministry so gentle and compassionate that the weak are not trampled or crushed until the full righteousness of God triumphs. And it says there in verse 21 that Jesus is the source of of hope to all nations. Not just the hope to, to Israel, but the Gentiles too. His kingdom includes all people. All are welcome. So brothers and sisters, that includes us this morning, that that all people can find hope and healing in Jesus Christ, in the beloved and gentle servant. I wonder if you feel weak this morning. Do you feel your need for rest and strength? those who have been bruised by their own sins or burdened by the self-righteous can find a tender hand in Jesus. You know, I think we can all recall going to the doctor or emergency room because something was wrong with our bodies and we felt it. Our need drove us to enable help. Well, brothers and sisters, it is the mercy of God to feel that need because of our sin Because we are bruised and broken. That we cannot heal ourselves. That when sinned against, we don't have the resources to make things right. We cannot bring ultimate justice. When suffering under trials, we don't have the strength to endure alone. But Jesus will not break or quench you. He will bandage bruises and nurture Your flame. He has infinite power and humility to meet us in our every need. And our Savior can meet us, can meet our sin with inexhaustible mercy because He took on Himself infinite wrath. The the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, was humble even to the point of death. You know, he he did not quarrel or cry aloud when the, the Pharisees' plot was made public. When he was unjustly arrested. When he was wickedly executed. You know, he could have called on legions of angels. He could have come down from that cross. He could have burned his adversaries with fire. But instead, he willingly took on our sin and died in our place. The innocent took on our guilt and was condemned in our place, so that simply by faith in his death and repentance from our sins we can be forgiven by God. And now, because we have been declared righteous by that faith, we can rest from our vain efforts to be justified by God. Our rest is found in In Jesus, we don't need extra-biblical traditions to please God. In fact, they never could. No, Jesus requires no more of us than he himself gives. And then accepts what he gives. And our freedom from the burden of legalistic demands also frees us from burdening others with legalistic demands. You know, Paul, we've already mentioned, was once one of these legalistic Pharisees. He learned from Gamaliel, he says, according to the strictest manner of the law of our fathers. If he could have been there, Paul would have been condemning the the disciples and Jesus as well. But when this Paul was saved by Jesus, he became a champion of freedom. Brothers and sisters, we, by our sin, are all prone to legalism. Ever since Eve, we are born with a legalistic heart, doubting God's goodness and thinking rules will make us right with Him. But legalistic sinners that have been saved by our gentle servant likewise become gentle servants. Friends, do you burden others with your own laws? Okay, maybe not outright laws, but, but your expectations. This is what real holiness looks like. And you add your condemnation to the guiltless. Maybe it's in your expectations of outward appearance. Or demeanor. Or what leisure activities are or are not permitted that are found nowhere in God's word, that have nothing to do with true righteousness. Well, the invitation to you this morning is to come to the freedom found in Christ. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It cannot give you true peace and rest. Brothers and sisters, we want a culture in this church that is shaped by the gospel, that is shaped by this gentle Savior that does not break a bruised reed. We want to add no unnecessary burden to weary sinners, ourselves or to others. But you know there is an opposite danger. To abandon legalism by falling into the opposite ditch, the ditch that totally rejects God's law. No, that's, that's just as much a danger. The answer, no, is to, to join together God's goodness and God's law. What God requires of us is a reflection of His own goodness. It reflects His character. All that He commands is good. And He is good in all that He commands. Every commandment that he gives is good, kind, and generous because he is good, kind, and generous. The legalist legalist doesn't view God as good because they are convinced they have to earn things from God. So the grounds of their blessing is their obedience to God. So church... This morning, see the goodness of the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, the Lord of the law. See Him care for His disciples in their hunger. See Him heal with mercy. See Him deal gently with the weak and weary. See Him humbly and quietly proclaim justice to the nations. And offer hope to all. This Jesus is the Lord of the law. He is the Jesus who gives what he commands because he is good to us. And this Jesus has satisfied the laws, goods, demands for us. And gives us his Holy Spirit. And calls us to good works motivated not to please him. To be made right by Him. But to please Him because He has made us right. The demands of legalism will never make us right with God. And are only an unbearable burden. So brothers and sisters, come to Jesus who gives freedom. And in order to do good. Use your freedom, brothers and sisters, in love to serve one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You sent the beloved servant with whom You were well pleased. Lord, that Your Spirit was upon him to proclaim justice. Lord, a kingdom in which justice would reign. And Lord, Your justice is perfect. Lord, You do not condemn the guiltless, but Lord, You deal gently with the weak and the suffering. Father, I pray today that we, as we celebrate this Lord's Day, would come to Jesus for rest for our souls. That we would find in Him the rest from our labors, our work to be justified by our own works. or no, we have this gift of righteousness not by our works, but by Your own mercy. Lord, we pray that, that in the goodness of Jesus Christ, we would go and do good likewise, shaped by the pattern of our good Savior, It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen.